Welcome to the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for listening. Today, financial statements, stories of money and the price of life in South Florida. I know there are disparities, but it's it's not fair to judge Miami. You know, I think you have to see the opportunity that people have and how they're able to grow with their own effort throughout the year. That's Alexis Martin. He came to the United States from Cuba in the mid-1990s. His first job was cleaning hospital operating rooms. He got involved in computers and now owns and runs an online store selling Gallo shirts. I was able to complete $20 that was needed for my rent in quarters that I had put away to be able to pay for rent. And it's not easy. Carlos Caballero supports himself, his fiance, their young daughter, and his mom and dad. He's a bartender and server at a restaurant at MIA. Kathleen Crampton is in South Florida to stay. She retired after a successful career as a top healthcare executive. We're able to live now within the Palm Beach environment, I would call it modest, but within the rest of the world, we are, you know, very much at the at the higher end. These are just 3 of the South Floridians who have shared their stories of money and the price of life with us. You will hear their stories and the stories of a couple other people today on the Sunshine Economy. You can see and hear more stories at wlrn.org slash financial dash statements. That's wlrn.org slash financial dash statements. And if you want to share your story, please email us sunshineeconomy at wlrnnews.org. Sunshineeconomy at wlrnnews.org. Alexis Martin was in his early 20s during what is referred to as the special period in Cuba. It was the years after the collapse of the Soviet Union and its financial support of the Castro regime. Like thousands of others, he left Cuba and has his own harrowing story, eventually making it to the United States to build a new life here in South Florida. My name is Alexis Martin, and I am a business owner. I mostly sell online. And uh, I live in Kendall, in the southwest part of Miami. The name of the online store is MyCubanStore.com. We specialize in the Cuban Guayabera shirts, so we, that's pretty much our main item, although we do have other, other items we sell. I left Cuba in 1994 in a raft, uh, and then I was uh, sent to Guantanamo Bay with other uh, migrants, and I waited like about a year and then immigrated to Miami in 1995. Ever since I came to Miami, I, I managed to, you know, always keep working. At the beginning, I was doing odd jobs like many immigrants. I uh, worked at a hospital as an orderly, cleaning the uh, surgery rooms. Then I I'd, uh, got a technical job at Pollo Tropical. My last technical job was at a um, software company uh, giving tech support over the phone. Uh, And then from there, I started my own business. And then one day, um, you know, I always have this, you know, entrepreneurial uh, thing inside of me, and all this uh, internet uh, was coming up. And it was in 2002 when I opened uh, my Cuban store with the idea of selling old Cuban memorabilia. But customers started requesting Guayaveras, and little by little, it's a business in which my customers, you know, brought me into the industry. Mm-hmm. 
I was a, a young man in Cuba. I was 24 years old. I had finished the military, the obligated military uh, service in Cuba. I really felt that I, there was no future for me in Cuba. I was always very confrontational uh, politically. I used to do like business on the side, on the black market, selling my friends' uh, drawings and paintings. I would sell it to the tourists, I would sell cigars, I would sell avocado, anything. So I was always, you know, since I was young, very entrepreneurial. And I felt that in Cuba, I was never going to be able to fulfill my dreams of, of anything. So I have no other choice, and, and I left. I kissed my mother in the morning, and I, and I say goodbye to her. And she told me, what's wrong? And I told her, nothing, everything is fine. So I kept that, you know, I kept that I was leaving the country, uh, that away from my family. We were planning the trip, somebody came and, and said, oh, you need to put a kill to that boat or, or else you're gonna capsize, you know. A boat that my uncle had put together, made out of um, irrigation tubes, like aluminum irrigation tubes. We had a, a rough time at sea. Uh, I almost died. We left and a storm hit us like two, three days in the ocean. We were uh, rowing, like no motor or anything. And uh, the, the storm, like two days later, sent us back to Cuba, to another part of Cuba. We were nine people in that improvised boat. And uh, out of nine people, only me and another guy stayed at the beach and tried again and you know I don't blame them I, I was rough uh, I just had like this little push inside of me you know looking back you know uh, that little push comes from the fact of knowing that you don't fit in that society that it's not for you My second time, I was on another raft, which was like a catamaran type of boat made of 55-gallon uh, drums. So, and that's the one in which I was picked up by the U.S. Coast Guard. Obviously, we were like a little tiny raft in the ocean, and the, the Coast Guard was like three steps above you, and this guy extends his hand and then pulls you up. And then at that moment, I, I hug him and say thank you a million times. And uh, I got super excited. I mean, here I was, you know, in the, in the U.S. Coast Guard. And it's like, you know, it's not the U.S., but uh, it was a dream of my life of leaving Cuba. So I, for me, it was exhilarating. We spent um, 13 months in a refugee camp, and like every day the news People will come with, um, you know, different gossip of, oh, you know, my aunt told me we'll, you will live in tomorrow. And then another guy would tell you, oh, I saw this big boat on, uh, coming into the bay. There's no way it's for something else but, but for taking us to the U.S. So it's like your life in the camps was like that. After a little while, you kind of tune that off because, you know, what, it doesn't, you know I, don't, I don't want it to affect my emotional state there because you know you if you keep listening to all the rumors yeah you're in a roller coaster so 
I worked as a volunteer with Gold Relief that was helping there, and I was work with the military. They put us on a charter plane from Guantanamo to the Humster Air Force Base. When the plane landed, we everybody screamed like it was like incredible. You know, I remember I came here. I have only a pair of sandals, and but I I have a book with me, the letters that my father, my mom, and dad had sent me from from Cuba while I was in Guantanamo. Now you know I can look back and 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 say. You know, wow, you know, it's, it's, it's rough. I, I, I was one of the lucky ones. My life before coming to this country, you know, it had influenced the way I think I see everything in this country. Because I see a lot of optimism. I look at things of what could be, what, what I know that, you know, you know, you're able to do in this country. Even the biggest obstacle you could see in front of you in, in this country today is nothing, you know, because, you know, nobody's persecuting you for thinking or for being different, you know. Although, you know, I know there are some people that are, have suffered discrimination and things like that, but, you know, still you could fight back, you could defend yourself in this country. I am Mary uh, with my wife, uh, Marta. We have three kids, which, you know, are, they're, they're, we call them our kids, but uh, they're grown. Um, Raul is 20, 26. He's my stepson. Alexis is 22. And Carolina is 17. The first time I went to Cuba after coming to this country, that trip was very memorable for me because, you know, it was the first time I, I went back and I took my kids with me. And I think it kind of made a connection to them, to where they come from. My son Alexis told me, Dad, I, I understand why you left on the first place, you know. My wife, is, she is a, she's a CPA. And she works with me here at the warehouse, but she also has her, her own practice. We've been working together for, uh, yeah, it's like 18 years. We have our own house. We also own uh, the, the warehouses on which my business runs, which are two. And then I own two other warehouses on which I rent. Financially, we are comfortable, we're fine, but we also frugal, you know, like we don't, we try to stretch the dollar, we don't, we don't go about, you know, I don't have like, you know, the, the newest car or, or the fanciest uh, shoes, you know. You know, I am from a generation of Cubans that we grew up with a history that was completely manipulated by the system. One of the interesting things that happened here in Miami is that I started discovering a part of the history of Cuba that was pretty much, you know, new to me. Pretty much the entrepreneurial spirit of, of Cubans, I discovered that in Miami. I see the economy being vibrant, the people finding jobs, people working. I know there are disparities, but it's, it's not fair to judge 
Miami, you know, like let's say when I came here, I could say, oh, look at the disparities. Yeah, but you just arrived here, you have nothing. So, you know, I think you have to see the opportunity that people have and how they're able to grow with their own effort throughout the years. Like any other big city, there's there are big issues like with rent and, and, and I understand that and uh, accessibility of, of the young generation. But I came here with nothing, like speaking poorly English and I managed to do things, you know, like I'm, I'm not praising myself, but I'm saying if, if, I, if I did this, anybody else can do it. I mean, it, it takes effort. Nobody's going to give you anything, you know. Alexis Martin has run into some unique challenges running his online store because of its name, MyCubanStore.com. He says payments he makes to his vendors have been held up by financial institutions over worries about the U.S. trade embargo and banking rules. He says he does not do any business in Cuba. But a few times through the years, he says company funds have been held up, he thinks, because the word Cuba is in his website's name. Still to come, the story of an Army veteran and his challenges readjusting to life after the military and without that steady paycheck. Had to deal with, you know, uh, feeling like a failure because obviously I couldn't pay my mortgage anymore. I couldn't pay for certain things. Credit cards, you know, went unpaid for months and things of that nature. And um, my house went into foreclosure. That's still to come. Welcome back to the Sunshine Economy here on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks again for listening. Today, stories from South Floridians struggling to make ends meet and from those enjoying prosperity. We call it financial statements, stories of money and the price of life in South Florida. The story of South Florida's economy is certainly more than statistics. Behind the well-known data on income disparity, housing affordability, and low average pay are the voices of people grappling with its adversities and those thriving from its opportunities. If you'd like to share your story, please email us, sunshineeconomy at wlrnnews.org. sunshineeconomy at wlrnnews.org. Derek Geist is a veteran who grew up in South Florida. He had trouble readjusting to life after the military and missing that regular paycheck. Derek Ogeest. Uh, first name Derek is spelled the right way, D-E-R-E-K. <laughs> I'm an advocate and a philanthropist, um, college student, add that to the resume, and I live in Homestead, Florida. So you might, might hear an accent. So I was born in Brooklyn. My, my parents uh, were watching Mammy Vice and decided to come down on vacation. And, and my mom, uh, you know, took me to a park. I, I said, Mom, can I run? And she said, go ahead and run. And she turned to my dad and said, I'm not moving back. We're, we're here to stay. And she found a job, like, that afternoon and stayed in Miami. And I grew up in Miami ever since. Um, so my mother's Puerto Rican and my father's from Trinidad and Tobago. Um, so I was an interracial kid growing up. Um, so I was a bit challenging, um, you know, going into, like, obviously middle school and things of that nature. So I sold copiers. That was my corporate job. And so I had to learn a lot about IP <laughs> and what that meant. And, and I said, you know, this is a pretty interesting field. Uh, 
I could join the military. I can get some marketable job skills. I was 22 when I joined. I was a young papa, so I had a my my girlfriend at the time, and I had a daughter at when I when I was 19, and got stationed in Germany, where my son was born, and uh, I sent them back here to Miami before I deployed to Iraq. Spent 15 months in Iraq, and uh, and then. Luckily, got stationed in Homestead Air Force Base and served the rest of my time in the military down in Homestead. In Iraq, um, I would do big assemblies and conferences. So I would set up, you know, projectors, microphones, things of that nature. So I got a chance to sit in on some pretty interesting conversations about the rebuilding of northern Iraq. Uh, and then when I was stationed in Homestead, um, I was still in communications and signal. Uh, deployed to Haiti after the earthquake, um, providing communication support to special operations forces in the humanitarian mission. 2015, um, I had a decision to make whether to stay in or get out. If I decided to stay in, I would have had to do an additional nine years. Um, and I had a moment of pause where I looked back at my previous 11 and realized that I had been away from home for about five years of that time. Um, so my daughter was about, about to be 15, and I thought it was important for me to be home more. So I, I decided to get out of the military and stay home. Transition and reintegration is a, is a tricky, tricky deal. It didn't occur to me the impact of getting out and losing over 50% of the household income. Uh, so when I got out of the military um, and obviously stopped getting my paycheck, um, I had to, you know, figure some stuff out. Um, I had to deal with anxiety, depression, um, had to deal with, you know, uh, feeling like a failure because obviously I couldn't pay my mortgage anymore. I couldn't pay for certain things and credit cards, you know, went unpaid for months and things of that nature. And um, my house went into foreclosure. Um, I remember, you know, my wife got a job uh, she's a she's a school teacher, and she came home after orientation. She said, "Okay, what health plan do I pick?" And I'm like, "You're looking at me. Like, I have no idea, right? Like that one. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. You know, who can you call? Who can you talk to?" And and it hit me. I was like, "Wow. Like, I am so disconnected. Like, I have no idea what I'm doing right now." And and that was like one of the first signs that really kind of hit me that you know I, I I had absolutely no answer for her in terms of how to pick a healthcare plan. And what made the most sense for our family, for our situation. Because that wasn't something we, for 11 years, we didn't even think about it. It wasn't something we even thought about. Um, coming out and, and having, to, <laughs> having to deal with um, a water bill, a light bill, uh, and having to deal with um, health care costs and, and things of that nature really was just startling.
the plan was I'm gonna go to school till I figure it out because I have the GI Bill. <laughs> and then what you didn't account for, what I didn't account for, is I didn't account for um, I was not ready to deal with teenage kids um, and deal with civilians like that. Um, I was uh, way too uptight, um, way too military, honestly, uh, to sit in a classroom and hear them complain about a homework assignment on Halloween weekend. You know, I was an, uh, an airborne jump master, pathfinder. Um, I would run airborne operations, having 60 or so uh, soldiers jumping out of an aircraft on my call. And I was totally responsible for all of that. And I could handle that, no problem. Um, and then I got out to the real world and couldn't handle the, you know, what I was dealing with. You know, I didn't know who to talk to. I didn't know where to turn. Um, I thought I could rely on what the military taught me, which was figure it out. And so that's what I did. I tried to figure it out on my own and completely got hit in the mouth. Yeah. After my fall term, um, I, I stopped going to school. So, yeah. Um, and then I recently got accepted to UM, so I'm actually going back to school uh, in, in the fall and using the GI Bill, uh, so I'll be going full-time to school now. So really excited about that. I got out of the military because I spent over five years away from my family. Missing my son's first steps, missing birthdays. I mean, I convinced my, my family, my daughter and my children, I convinced them that birthdays were not as important as the days that we were able to spend together because I didn't want to feel guilty for missing birthdays and anniversaries. Um, and I remember when I told my daughter that I was considering getting out of the military, um, I said to her, I said, you know, don't you want me to be at your birthdays? And she said, Dad, they're not that important. I mean, you know, um, you know, like you said, and. And to go from a couple years ago, her saying to me that birthdays aren't that important to last year, her getting upset that I might have missed picking out shoes for her prom dress. Like she was upset that I might have missed that because I had a, an event to go to. Um, so, so to have a complete 180 outlook on those precious moments um, is worth it. My wife's a teacher. Um, so, and then with my disability, um, that's our household income is made up of her full-time employment and my, and my disability. We know that my disability check is consistent. Her paycheck is a little bit you know, sometimes comes and goes. Um, uh, so, so there's some pressure there in terms of uh, making sure that we plan accordingly. I discovered in the midst of my transition, uh, one thing that really kind of motivated me to get over that hurdle, asking for help and things of that nature, um, was I wanted to be an example of a successful transition. Right? Like I wanted to, to set that stage, like, hey, you can get out from the military. It will be okay. Like life does not fall apart around you. Like you can be okay. There's certain things that you can do um, to, to do that. Going from, you know, almost losing my house of foreclosure um, to a few months later being able to buy groceries for a fellow veteran, right? Um, just to, to be able to be in that position was just uh, a rewarding feeling. That's to the heart of, of, of what this city offers. 
Derek Auguste credits a program for veterans at United Way Miami for helping him become a civilian again. Today, Derek is a senior at UM studying political science. He's the head of the student veterans group. He plans on taking the law school admissions test, and if he goes to law school, he expects it will be in the northeastern United States. If he goes, he says he'll move his whole family out of South Florida. Still to come, Kathleen Crampton's story. After a successful career in healthcare, how she stays busy volunteering. A lot of people say that the interest in philanthropy really comes from guilt. And I am not one of those people. That story is still to come. This is the Sunshine Economy, financial statements, stories of money and the price of life in South Florida. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for listening this week. This region is one of great wealth and great poverty, of oceanfront mansions and rundown rental apartments. Income disparity, housing affordability, low average pay, just some of the big challenges for economic prosperity and opportunity. There also are entrepreneurs who've been extremely successful and hardworking people who have staked their lives on the fate of South Florida. These are the stories of people who are struggling and thriving in its economy. If you'd like to share your story, email us, sunshineeconomy at wlrnnews.org. That's sunshineeconomy at wlrnnews.org. Kathleen Crampton had been coming to Florida since she was a kid and her family came down to escape winters up north. Her family was successful in the media and news business, and she also had a successful business career herself. Kathleen's work in healthcare included top positions at large health insurance companies. She calls herself Lucky, who's now busy with volunteer work in Palm Beach County. Kathleen Crampton, I am uh, 73 years old, and I live in Palm Beach, Florida. My family, we lived in Minnesota. My family has been coming down here for years, uh, mostly spring vacations. Oftentimes my father would have business down here and we would combine that and come down and go to the beach and do that sort of thing. My husband and I, he's a little bit older than I am. He'll turn 80 this year. You know, we both went to college. He went to graduate school. I went to graduate school. He has a master's degree and finished all but his dissertation for his PhD. And then I have, believe it or not, three master's degrees. When we first met years ago, we've been married 47 years, be 48 years. We were both, um, you know, committed to improving the world and uh, basically spent our life doing that. I went to Boston University and, and I um, volunteered at a housing project and a um, uh, tutoring program. Um, this was the mid to late 60s and um, that was the beginning of my career. I ultimately got a degree in public health. I also got a, an MBA and worked as a manager in the healthcare system. 
and it's hard. You know, I have three master's degrees. You think it was easy staying up at night and doing da 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 da. I mean, when I did my MBA, I had two kids, and my brother was living with us. Oh, and I was also working part time. You know, it's hard. Just do what you have to do. You know, my husband has this great comment. He said, sometimes it's chicken and sometimes it's feathers. You know, when it's feathers, it looks pretty, pretty crummy, right? You have to, you know, suck it up. I've had a pretty varied um, career. I've been exceedingly lucky. I've, I've worked for great organizations and with wonderful people. And I continued doing that and didn't retire until four years ago, full-time from United Healthcare, where I ran here in Florida the Medicaid program uh, that was contracted uh, from the state Medicaid program to United. Um, it was about a $1.2 billion program when I left, and um, we managed the care for really hundreds of thousands of people, and it was my privilege to have that opportunity to do that, to make sure that we provided the best care we could. The thing for me that makes it most interesting is the conjuncture, if you will, of both financing as well as personal responsibility and how do you get people to behave differently in a way that works for them, works for society over the long term. You know, how do you provide incentives for people, et cetera. And that's really what we were doing, very much trying to provide incentives for people to take care of themselves. I went to business school and I remember I really don't care about banks making money and I don't really care about shoes or cosmetics or any of that kind of stuff. I really care about health care and, you know, seeing that people are well taken care of. You know, we're very lucky. Both my husband and I have worked, honestly, every day. I work full time through children, through this, through that, until four years ago. My husband still works. He is uh, president of the South Florida Science Center, for which he actually gets paid. You know, that's helpful. We're able to live now within the Palm Beach environment, I would call it modest. But within the rest of the world, we are, you know, very much at the, at the higher end. We don't travel a great deal. We're big golfers. My husband's an excellent golfer, plus family. Those are really our, our interests. We don't live particularly ostentatiously here. I mean, we don't have boats and, you know, I drive a Jeep and, you know, we're not we're not high rollers, if you will, but we're very aware there are a lot of high rollers around us with, you know, huge uh, fortunes. We're quite clear about what our fixed costs are, um, and we have discretionary spending, which if we had to cut back, we could cut back. And I actually have a little list um, of things that will get cut. So we belong to some, some nice golf clubs, um, and we could get rid of several of those very quickly.
there are people with just huge amounts of wealth, and there are people who don't have anything. And that's very acute, really, here between West Palm and Palm Beach. My brother says I failed retirement, but that's because I'm involved in all this other stuff. On Friday mornings, I'm a volunteer at a place called Opportunity, which is a really a daycare center um, off of um, Okeechobee. And, you know, they're building a new school. It's a fabulous program. Uh, I'm involved with their STEM program, so I teach science, of all things, to, you know, four- and five-year-olds. A lot of people say that the interest in philanthropy really comes from guilt. And I am not one of those people. You see, one of the things about me is a lot of people will say, well, you're so nice and stuff. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm not nice. It's not in our best self-interest not to address many of the issues that we have in front of us. That's why I really don't like people doing things out of guilt. I think they ought to do it because they see it as a good investment. It's a smart move to improve our education system. It's a smart move to deal with our environmental issues. That's where I come from. I'm doing stuff because I think it's a good investment and it's gonna help my kids long-term. I like being engaged. You know, I'd rather be on the field playing than in the stands watching. I love living here. And I like it because it's very diverse. I think this is a very exciting, dynamic, fabulous community. I consider it privileged to be here. It's really a gift. Of course it goes beyond the weather and the beaches and the sunshine. It goes to all these wonderful people who come here and make a life and Miami just teams with wonderful communities and wonderful people, as does West Palm. We're just very fortunate to be alive. Since we spoke with Kathleen, she has welcomed her fifth grandchild. Her volunteer work at the daycare has been on hiatus because the school moved. She expects to be back in the classroom volunteering in January. In the meantime, she's been kept busy with some political interests with the League of Women Voters. As for her golf game, she says she played one of her worst rounds earlier this year. But she also added, the golf season's just beginning in South Florida. Still to come, a young father making ends meet for his family. My biggest financial concern is the baby. Um, I'm very scared, like, for when she starts school like what school she's gonna go to because I don't just want her to go to any school like I'm that's one of my biggest things that's still to come we're back on the sunshine economy I'm Tom Hudson thanks again for listening on the side of the refrigerator in the apartment where we met Carlos Caballero was a big calendar he had crossed off each day that passed with the big black x but instead of the days filled with the work schedule appointments or family events the calendar was used for just one purpose to keep track of bills. He's one of the people who spoke with us about money and the price of life in South Florida. You can hear more stories at wlrn.org slash financial statements. 
And you can share your story by emailing us, sunshineeconomy at wlrnnews.org. My name is Carlos Caballero. I'm 24 years old. I'm a server for a restaurant in, in um, the Miami International Airport, and I live in Miami, Miami, Florida. I get um you can say I'm I'm American with Cuban blood. Like I was I was at um at a very long young age I I was bilingual. I knew how to speak Spanish because of my family and English because I was in school. So like my parents will get phone call from like mortgages or from like professional people and they'll be like Alito ven para aquí and uh, like the peop these professional businessmen will be on the phone with like a six year old and I'm translating the stuff to my parents and vice versa. In this apartment, it's uh, me, my wife, and my uh, my daughter. We rent this place. It's a one-bedroom, one-bathroom. I pay right now a thousand dollars in rent, and that's actually that's. I'm pretty lucky to have a one-one for a thousand dollars in this area. Like it's a blessing. We usually work. Um, our our shift is seven hours. I get around five twenty-five or five thirty an hour. I'm a tipped worker. Yeah. When I was younger, I used to be a lot into like old style games and stuff like that that are worth a lot of money. Now, Nintendo 64, Super Nintendo, like the old style that they don't make them anymore. I had two drawers full, nearly a hundred, over a hundred of the, like rare games, and it was I don't have any left now. But it was thanks to selling that over. Like I have to say, eBay saved my house a few times. Because if it wouldn't have been for that, I wouldn't have had another income. Because it was me and my wife, but it wasn't enough. I remember last um, two months ago, I actually I was able to complete twenty dollars that was needed for my rent in quarters that I had put away to be able to pay for rent. And it's not easy. Life is is hard when when you're when you're living bill by bill when you're living uh, check by check when I work as a server I get out of work I made luckily I say a hundred dollars a hundred and twenty okay I gotta pay this I gotta pay that I don't have any money left next day I make a hundred bucks I gotta pay this I gotta pay that like there's no room to save there's no room like maybe quarters if you want but there's no room to actually save. I can't remember the last time we went out to like to to watch a movie like we watch movies here in the house all the time but I mean to like go to the buy some popcorn and soda and sit down and actually watch a movie uh, whew. but that was when we first met when we didn't have all these worries and all these you know it was so much easier back then we could live off no money like it was it was fine like. my biggest financial concern is the baby um, I'm very scared, like, for when she starts school, like, what school she's gonna go to, because I don't just want her to go to any school. Like, I'm, that's one of my biggest things. Like, one of my biggest fears when she's old enough that we're having conversations and she says, "Daddy, I want to go to Disney," or "Daddy, I want to go here." Like, you know what it is? So I have to tell him, give me a year, and hoping, hoping that you're able to do it in that year. It's that's one of my biggest fears. What I hope is, it may sound a bit crazy, but I want to move out of here. I want to go to another state. Like, my whole family calls me crazy, but I want to go to Alaska. 
I want to go to Alaska, open up a Cuban cafeteria over there. What? Do you know how those Alaska, how they're going to love the Cuban coffee, keep them warm there? Yeah, what? I guarantee you there's no, no cafeterias over there, at least Cuban cafeterias. And like, obviously, I want to bring my family with me. I want a nice like wilderness area, big property, my entire family there with me and just happy together. Like see the northern lights every once in a while, like have a nice move. And I can't stand the cold. I don't like the cold. Uh, you'd be amazed. I'm a sun person, but I don't know why. It's just, it's a dream to me somehow to have my family over there. And just, I don't know. I guess they'll to have one of those postcard pictures. Since we spoke with Carlos Caballero, he, his fiance, and their daughter moved in with his mom and dad. He says they both lost jobs, so they moved in to help with expenses. They live in the same apartment complex. He says he's paying the rent for everyone. He also says he still wants to open that Cuban cafe in Alaska someday. Still to come, following in Dad's footsteps, but doing it differently. I am where I am because I work hard. I am where I am because I've had uh, the benefits of parents who have provided for me when they needed to. Uh, I am where I am because I had parents that instilled in me a responsibility. That story's still to come. This is The Sunshine Economy. I'm Tom Hudson. Today we're featuring stories from people about money and the price of life in South Florida. These are personal stories from real people sharing the role money plays in their lives and how they think about their financial futures. Alvaro Martinez grew up around the medical profession. His father was a doctor, and Alvaro knew he was going to practice medicine too. He just didn't know what type of medicine to focus on. He knew, however, he wanted his medical career to be different than his dad's. Hello, my name is Alvaro Martinez, uh, Jr. I'm a cardiologist. I live in Miami Lakes. I've been a cardiologist for the past 18 years. My father's a cardiologist, so I picked up the profession from him. I'm happily married for 14 years. I have two beautiful daughters, and I've been working here for about a year and a half now. Parents are from Colombia, um, born and raised uh, in Cartagena. They came here shortly after my parents got married, and my dad did his uh, medical training here in the United States. Uh, my father and mother at the time, when I was born, were in uh, Texas. My dad was in the Army at the time. I came here when I was actually just a few weeks old. Uh, you, know, you ask my parents, they'll tell you that even when I was young, I wanted to be a physician. All through high school, my friends will tell you that I always wanted to be a physician. Um, As far as cardiology, that's interesting. I never really wanted to do cardiology uh, at first. As I rotated through different disciplines in med school, I began scratching them off my list. I don't like this. I don't like that. Um, By my fourth year of medicine, med school, I was starting to hit a crisis that I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I wasn't sure, but then a friend of mine, a friend of my dad's actually, who was an interventional cardiologist at Mount Sinai, invited me to come do a rotation with him. And I really enjoyed it. I was very proud of what my father did, um, but I saw how dad, hard my dad was working and, and what his life was like. Now, granted, it, cardiology, as with all of medicine, has changed. So my father, who was a product of the 1980s, 
practice in a very different way than I practice now. I will say very clearly that I never felt that my dad wasn't there. My father always came, he came home late, he worked hard, he was often gone in the morning, and I remember one summer when I didn't lay eyes on him for like three days because he was in the house so little, because he was working hard. But he was still there, he would come on weekends, we would play tennis together. Uh, it was always enjoyable to have my dad there, and I never felt an absence. Um, having said that, I do know that my schedule is a lot more um, family-friendly than my father's was, because the style of practice has changed. My father was both hospital and office, matter of fact, more hospital than office, so that occupied him much more of his time. I'm predominantly here in the office, uh, so I've actually uh, I focus on outpatient cardiology, managing patients who have got chronic cardiac illnesses. Typical week would be to come in in the morning, see patients throughout the course of the day, um, and really business Monday through Friday. I'm I consider myself blessed. I really, really do. I have a good home. Uh, We're my family doesn't go hungry. My family really wants for nothing. Um, my wife and I both work, uh, which is a reality in today's day and age. Um, but you know, we're able to make we're able to make ends meet. Uh, we always uh, have enough to make sure we can run into any emergencies. Um, we're doing well. We're doing well. You know, obviously the, the you know we face the face the same costs as everybody, you know mortgage, uh, home utilities, uh, the car. One one daughter is driving now, and I'm helping her with that. Uh, the older daughter is also in college. Uh, she's now a junior at Nova Southeastern. Um, you know, my my uh, younger daughter is in private school, which my wife and I both work hard to keep her there. But I don't consider myself to be any different than any other person doing any other kind of line of work. I am where I am because I work hard. I am where I am because I've had uh, the benefits of parents who have provided for me when they needed to. Uh, I am where I am because I had parents that instilled in me a responsibility. Uh, now that's not to say other people out there don't have it. Um, it's a tough world out there. Yeah, if I work harder, I'd like to earn more. Sure, there are things out there I would like to provide for my family. I would like to be able to, to sleep more at, at ease. You know, of course, wouldn't anybody? Anybody would. But at the same time, I certainly, you know, my priorities are first and foremost my family. I mean, I could very easily be, in addition to this, uh, doing other things. But then, you know, hey, then I get to put my, I don't, I get to put my daughter to bed every night. I have breakfast with my family every day. And that to me has been the priority. Since we spoke with Alvaro Martinez, he describes his life as stable, just the way I like it, he says. He's still practicing medicine, his wife is working, his youngest daughter turned nine, and his older daughter has started her senior year of college. If you'd like to share your story of money and the price of life in South Florida, please email us, sunshineeconomy at wlrnnews.org. You can also find more stories at wlrn.org slash financial dash statements. Nikki Ramirez is our technical director. Katie Lepri, our engagement producer. Polly Landis is our booking producer. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for listening.